So we are in our series, What Child Is This? This is our last sermon. We've talked about the, the Trinitarian nature of God, the importance of that. Uh, we've talked about how religion works over time to kind of avoid the scandal of a supernatural Jesus. Um, he's too fantastic for rational minds, too uncomfortable for easy religion. Some would rather leave him buried than face him alive. We talked about how the guards and other Roman officials tried to hide him, but nothing can hide this supernatural, resurrected Messiah, even though much of moralistic religiosity tries to do that. We've seen that the most important thoughts that anybody can ever have is their thoughts about God. The most important thing you can think as a human being is your thoughts about God. Nietzsche, the atheistic philosopher, he said this. He said that, and I think he was right in saying that once you get rid of God, everything changes. Once you get rid of God, everything changes. Now, I think the same is true if we strip God down to make him more acceptable to the masses. You know, maybe he's a, a genie in a bottle to just meet our felt needs. Maybe he's a therapeutic deity to, to make us happy. Or he's some some distant deity, uh, far enough away to where we can just make up our own rules. Some see God like this. And in our digital age, this makes perfect sense. We could just choose a God to match our own whims. The Israelites tried to fashion God uh, in making an idol when Moses was up on a mount. We know that that didn't turn out too well for the Israelites. And the same is true for us. Michael Horton wrote, the God of the Bible is a strange God. Not a kind of God we can manage, manipulate, accommodate, or domesticate to our familiar experience. When God actually confronts us, our speculations are exposed as idols, our experiences judged as little more than a projection of ourselves, and our felt needs give way to more pressing needs that we did not even realize we ever had. Now, we talked about how some faith communities like to fashion themselves as not being about doctrine, but that's really a ruse. Every faith community has doctrine, things that they believe. Uh, even if they just tout you know, tolerance and love, uh, they still have certain things that they believe. doesn't matter if you're progressive, conservative, Catholic, Protestant, or even atheistic or, or pantheistic. There are certain things you believe within your system at the exclusion of, of other truth claims. So every faith community has beliefs. There's nothing wrong with that. We just want to make sure that our, our, our beliefs align with what we know to be true in God's revealed word. We saw last week the uh, Trinitarian nature of God is essential to our concept of God, and that that is a source of loving community. We looked at how the scriptures clearly reveal God as a Godhead of Father, Son, and, and, and Holy Spirit. So he's a God that's not lonely. He's a God that has shared fellowship and love eternally within the Godhead. Remember when God said to Moses, I am. There's a, there's a uniqueness to this loving Trinitarian Godhead that just in his, in his very existence, exudes certain characteristics. And one is this tremendous unity, love, and fellowship amongst the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And we added to this that this Trinitarian nature of God is important for us to experience a loving community. Marriage, family, the church all rely on this Trinitarian nature of God where you have this distinctness, uh, uniqueness, but uh, unity. Uh, the triune God did not just create individuals as just individuals, but he created a, a human community, male and female with children. Um, and they would reflect this unity through their covenantal relations. So we're all created with this need, being made in the image of God, with this need for relationships. No matter what the belief system, this is what we have to understand, no matter what belief system, we cannot escape how we're created. That's who we are as human beings. And when we deny this, we live discordant with ourselves. Now, most people can attest to forces that work against community. Our culture has bred a lot of mistrust the last few years. During a pandemic, a political division, societal issues, uh, the net result is that there is a growing number of people who are more isolated, less trusting. Do you know that Japan has appointed someone as Minister of Loneliness? True. Trying to reduce the, the loneliness and social isolation amongst its residents as the country deals with the rising suicide rate after the pandemic. Here's one thing I think you could probably agree with me. Government can do nothing to affect the core issues of the heart. Nothing. People turn to addiction, anything, to pacify this growing feeling that something is missing. And our createdness, I think, gives us a clue. Now, the Bible tells us that this core problem is called sin, this uh, broken relationship that we have with God because of man's disobedience. And we're all guilty of it. Whatever your understanding is about sin, we can look at the origin of Adam and Eve and see this drama of where they rejected this close fellowship with God and then had multiple consequences to deal with. And what we found is that this first couple became really self-conscious. Remember the whole fig leaves stuff going on, right? And, and part of the problem with our sin is that we become really self-protective instead of preparing our hearts for relationships, for love. In other words, it's about me and not others or, or, or relationships. And government can do nothing about that. No government can right the wrong between a holy God and people. So how do we change a human heart? Well, there's a prayer of the psalmist that says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. The psalmist understood that the problem was going to necessitate 
God doing something about it. Deuteronomy says, The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so you may live. So whatever the specifics are about this solution, we know that God has to be involved in fixing the heart, right? But I think when we talk to other people, we often find that um, sin is not an easy thing for people to admit. You know, we normally think of, you know, I didn't uh, murder anybody, so I haven't sinned. But when you, when you think of this attention given to our self-consciousness and this not wanting to lean into relationship as much as, as we should and, um, and all the ways that this is impacted, we begin to see then sin's ugly characteristics. There's a movie I recently saw called The Banshees of, of Inisharan. It's a, it's a weird title, and it's a, it's a, a fictitious island off the coast of Ireland, but it was about two friends who uh, enjoyed each other's friendship for a long period of time. They would go to the pub, enjoy some brew, talk to one another, um, just banter and chat about the mundane events of life every day. And one day, one of the characters, Colm, decides he's no longer interested in spending time with his friend, Padraig. Colm wants something different from life. He wants something more interesting. And Padraig was no longer going to be the source of entertainment or whatever need Colm had. Padraig was not going to be the ticket. And Colm was blunt. He didn't want to see his friend anymore. He didn't want to meet with him. He didn't want the friendship. And as you can imagine, Padraig is very distressed. He can't understand, what did I do? What happened? How come you no longer want to talk to me? He just couldn't understand it. And he kept pestering him. He kept asking him. And Colm said, listen, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just told you I'm not interested. Leave me alone. But he kept pestering him. Finally, Colm said, after Padraig was so distressed and, um, and just kept after him, he said, if you don't stop it, I'm going to cut off one of my own fingers. Well, Padraig didn't stop. <laughs> and in a future scene, you hear a thud at his door. He opens up the door. Colm is walking away. He looks down on the ground, and there's laying one of his fingers in the grass. Pretty weird, right? So it's kind of a, a self-sacrifice, a desire for space and autonomy. This did not stop Padraic from pursuing his friend, and he kept after him. The movie just continues with escalating results. Now listen, like much of art, uh, I can't tell you what this director meant by this film, but I can tell you what I take from it. We see two typical responses in our desire for relationship, and I think it all relates to the problem of sin in the world. Like Padraic, many are very desperate to see our need fulfilled. We beg for attention. We even make ourselves a nuisance by our insistence. 
We can ignore boundaries, and this only exacerbates the problem. And many people are like Colm, uh, seeking a change in relationships instead of learning to benefit from the ones in front of us because our perceived needs are not met. We want more enthusiasm, uh, more interesting activity, more excitement. If there was ever a evil to individual happiness today, you know what that is? Mundaneness. We see that as evil. And so the things that maybe normally are meant to give us meaning don't anymore. The loving embrace of a brother or sister, the deep waters of a vibrant conversation, the enjoyment of somebody just sitting with us, maybe in grief or hurt, that's not enough. It isn't interesting enough. We see those around us who maybe previously provided steady grace and forgiveness and love as lacking in pizzazz. One of the things I hope to keep learning is not to be as beguiled by shiny lights, more expense, entertainment as a way to treat my heart. Our challenge is to lean into the messiness and to see our dissatisfaction as maybe more times it's saying something about us than about circumstances and people around us. What I find is that on the other side of messy is often growth, healing, if we're willing to walk through it instead of around it. Fact is, whoever are our friends and wherever I go, I am still confronted with how I'm created. That we're still made in the image of God for community of family and church and friends. And sometimes it gets really hard, right? People say stupid stuff. You get hurt. And maybe you're the perpetrator. Let me throw something out. Hard could mean something really good, right? More than what easy delivers. COVID, politics, societal protests, have helped to tilt people away from community and more towards autonomy and aloneness. And I don't think we can help but suffer the consequences. And so we try to fashion our own modern fig leaves. Thank God he's not left us alone. Listen to the solution. I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. Jeremiah 24, 7. God knows what ails us. He knows what we need, and he delivers to us the solution. Ephesians says this, I will pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I mean, wow. Listen to this. Christ will make his home in your heart. I mean, if, if we really believed the truth of those words, then 
insecurity, shame, all these things with Christ at home in my heart? How can those things be? Roots growing deep in God's love. I'm not asking if you believe it. I'm asking if that is your experience. Are you living it? May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ, Paul wrote. So clearly one of the chief results of sin is this relational dissonance with God and with others. But here's what we've been learning. The Trinitarian Godhead exists as a unit, but yet in community. They're a perfect example of what we can enjoy. And the Trinitarian Godhead is active in providing a remedy for us because of our sin. That's amazing news. So let's look at this. God the Father, let's start with him, has worked in the incarnation in sending the Son to us from the heavenly realm. This is what Galatians says. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son. The Holy Spirit was at work in the conception of Jesus within Mary in Matthew 1.20 when Mary asked Gabriel how it was possible for her to have a child while still a virgin, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit gave life to the human Jesus who was at the same time the eternal Son of God. And then he's worked to testify of the Messiah, the Son of God. He did this through Elizabeth, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we look at the Son. The Son was prophesied about in Isaiah 9. By the way, 700 years before the time of Christ, we read this. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The birth of Jesus in the manger of Bethlehem was an act of divine delight in what we call the incarnation, God becoming a man. And at the heart of our transformation is the sharing of this deep delight that the Father has in the Son and that the Son has in the Father. And because we're in the Son, we enjoy this delight and love of the Father. That's the abundant life that the Spirit calls us to. So Christ willingly took on human flesh. This wasn't as a result of coercion, but because of his love and volitional union with his Father. We read this in Hebrews. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the sacrifice for sin, starting with the incarnation and ending at the cross. It's done because God delights in seeing our relationships restored to him and with others. I had lunch recently with a friend. But he shared that on his birth certificate is, he found out, was not his birth father. But it was the man who raised him. And he didn't know that there was a difference. And when it came out that there was, then obviously he got really curious. And so not too long ago, he found out that his birth father was living in Texas. So he decided to find him. And he did. He went to Texas and he knocked on his door. And the man let him in to his house. But he did not let him into his heart. He was cold. He was distant. And my friend could only figure that he probably thought he had an agenda or something. All my friend wanted was to meet his real father to have a relationship with him. But having a relationship was not going to happen. Sad. That doesn't have to be when it comes to our Heavenly Father. And many people think of God as distant. But that is not the objective reality of who God is. Here are the facts. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that he, so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. That's the testimony of the New Testament. The truth be told, we should marvel in this Christmas season at the work of the triune God in the manifestation of his eternal son in the flesh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising from the dead so that we can enjoy fellowship with the Heavenly Father who delights in his Son and he delights in those who are in his Son. It's an amazing thing. Most of you know who Billy Joel is, the famous singer. At one point in his life, he gave his daughter an unusual Christmas present. She turned 12. She was in New York. The pop musician was on the West Coast. So he phoned her that morning, on the morning of her birthday, and he apologized for his absence. But he told her to expect a large package before the end of the day. So before the end of the day, the doorbell rang. She answered the door, and there was a seven-foot-tall, brightly wrapped box she tore it open and outstepped her father. <laughs> Fresh off the plane. 
from the West Coast. You know what? Your gift came in the flesh too. What child is this? He's part of the Godhead who loves us so much that the Son came to earth perfectly God, perfectly man to renew our hearts and restore our relationships. My offer to you during this Christmas season and to again proclaim the meaning of the incarnation is to offer to us this relationship. Maybe some are Christians here today, but you've not enjoyed the relationship. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, you've been hurt by other Christians, and the truth be told, you're considering whether you even want to continue. I've met a lot of people like that. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for what other people have done, but I can tell you this, what the church is, is many times a lot different than who God is. Who God is, is incredibly loving, filled with grace and delight in you and wants a relationship with you. Let's pray.